0: Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a
1: sacred practice and find meaning and connections in the, through our favourite books.
0: I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gerangai and Darug people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present.
1: I'd also like to acknowledge Tungata Fenua of the Whanganui Atara, where I'm recording today.
0: Jen, hello! <sighs> hello! It's season six!
1: how exciting a new season always a good time
0: i am really excited i just reread the whole book last weekend by accident because that's the rule when you start reading a rainbow Rowell book you just can't put it's it it's true down. it's true and i just got excited all over again at how much we're going to dive into this book and how great it's going to be and i'm so excited
1: i'm very excited i feel like i've been sitting on conversation about this book for a very <laughs> long time Since I became newly obsessed with it when I was in Perth last year um, on my surprise six-week holiday. (laughs) And I picked up these books and...
0: Yeah, so I'm just really excited to, to chat about it. So we're going to do something different. We're going to, instead of doing a moment of wonder, we're going to talk about what sparked joy for us this week, which is kind of the same but different. I don't know. I just feel like reframing it gives it a bit of a fresh up. Yeah. Our moment of wonder got to glow up, basically.
1: Yeah, and I love, like, sparking joy. I'm a big fan of that.
0: I think that that's, like, my 2022 mood is, like, what sparks joy. That's a nice one to have. I think if I have to have a mood, it's got to be that. Like, everything is a dumpster fire for the third year running, so (laughs) whatever sparks joy, I'm holding on with ten fingers and ten toes. So what did you have this week that sparked joy for you?
1: Yesterday, I went to a lovely, very subdued but delightful garden party for my friend's birthday. It was just at his house and we just hung out in the back garden played some, you know, lawn games and then just sat around eating delicious things and chatting and drinking cocktails. And it was just so lovely. It was just a really chill evening. Like, it wasn't a lot of people because we have these Omicron cases now here. So everyone's a bit scary of that. And yeah, everyone was, you know, fully vaccinated and being very careful so it was just lovely it was just lovely after working from home all week to go out and have some company and just yeah. chat and I was being in fine form and people were laughing at my jokes which just meant that I made more jokes because of course it's a self-fulfilling <laughs> prophecy and then yeah I was just like stop it you're being annoying but it's fine I had a great time
0: <laughs> people would tell you that like you would clue off of their body language I don't think you have anything to worry about if you're at a party <laughs> being entertaining you're doing what you're supposed to be doing Parties are meant to be entertaining.
1: This is true. It's just often I get home and i would be like, oh, I don't know if I was as entertaining as I thought I was, but I was having fun.
0: It's like when you share something with someone and you have the vulnerability hangover afterward. There's got to be like yeah. the insecurity hangover of like, I thought I was doing really well, but was I actually terrible? That's <laughs> totally a thing, right? I think so. Brene Brown, have you written about this? Get I on it if know. you haven't. We need a new <laughs> <Yeah>. book. <laughs> How to cope with being popular.
1: <sighs> oh no, the horror. <laughs> How about you? What sparked joy for you this week?
0: I have had a really rough year in terms of cooking. I just haven't wanted to... I'm not interested and I love cooking and baking so this is a real departure for me but last night I was like no I'm gonna make a fancy dinner and so I tried a new Mm. recipe and it was really delicious and then I made something green and healthy to go with it so I tried oven baked risotto which was the not healthy part yum it's carbs and more carbs because you add butter and butter is a carb but I also made broccolini steamed broccolini and my son ate all of the broccolini and I was like oh <gasps> what is this what alternate universe are we living in but um I was okay with that he's just not a vegetable person but it, it seemed to work so it was really yummy and I was really proud of myself for making a whole meal it looked amazing and delicious so good work Thanks. it really was good I probably should have put more water in because it was very dry but luckily because it's oven risotto you just kind of like stir a lot more in at the end anyway
1: yeah and put some more cheese in that'll fix it
0: oh absolutely <laughs> and butter more butter yum <laughs> It was really good.
1: Well, I'm proud of you. Cooking is sometimes just, you get in your head about cooking. You know,
0: you kind of, I
1: find I fall in in and out of love with cooking all the time where I feel really good about it. And then sometimes I just eat toast for a week because I'm like, this is too much. It's too hard.
0: Yeah. I reckon if I make a meal plan and like pay attention to the use by dates of everything in my fridge, I'm much better Mm. about it. But when you're doing click and collect, I need to just plan after I get the stuff, I think.
1: Oh, that's a good idea. See, what do I have and what can I do with it?
0: Oh, well. Anyway, it was joyful to have a beautiful dinner, and I'm proud of myself for cooking.
1: Good work. Well, as we were saying, you know, mm-hmm. very excited to start season six. Mm-hmm. And we are, you know, diving into the magical world we all know a little bit about from our first foray with this author, Um, returning to Rainbow Rowell, and we're reading the first book in the Carry On trilogy. So it's obviously called Carry On, and we learned about it in Fangirl, and we are very excited.
0: Yay! I'm excited too. I'm going to read the blurb, but I just want to say really quickly that this is not the Gemma T. Leslie Simon Snow. This is not the Simon yeah. Snow that Kath writes in Fangirl. So I like to think of this as when Charlotte Bronte read Emma, she focused on a character called Jane Fairfax, who was going to be made a governess somewhere. And mm-hmm. she was like, I could do this, I could improve on this. And she wrote a story about a governess, unwanted and orphaned from a poor family called Jane Eyre who married Edward Fairfax, Rochester. So I just wanna say that this is the Jane Eyre to Emma version, that like, that's how I see it. It's not I the love same, that. it's yeah. kind of adjacent, but it's not at all the same. That is a great so that, oh, I just wanna frame it, yeah, a little bit differently. Because I think a lot of people are like, oh, this is just Harry Potter. Oh, this is what Gemma T. Leslie would have written. But it isn't. And that's important.
1: No, I think that is important. Because I do see that criticism a lot where people are like, I'm not going to read it. It's just Harry Potter fan fiction. It really, really isn't. Like, it really isn't. (laughs) It's not at all.
0: In fact, I think all of the Harry Potter references are like gone and done in the first chapter. Mm. So anything that you could be like, oh, that's similar. Oh, that's similar. Then it never happens again. Like, they're all done in the first part of the book. All right. So this is the blurb. Simon Snow is the worst chosen one who's ever been chosen. That's what his roommate, Baz, says. Baz might be evil and a vampire and a complete git, but he's probably right. Half the time, Simon can't even make his wand work, and the other half, he sets something on fire. His mentor's avoiding him, his girlfriend broke up with him, and there's a magic-eating monster running around wearing Simon's face. Baz would be having a field day with all this if he were here. It's their last year at the Watford School of Magics, and Simon's infuriating nemesis didn't even bother to show up
1: so excited my skin is like tingling
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh I had so much fun reading the section and listening to the section so I've been listening to the audiobook and Ewan Morton does the reading for it and it is so good gets the belligerence of Simon very perfect I think oh I maybe have to check it out um did you want to talk a little bit about expectation which is our overarching theme for the book
1: yeah so we chose expectation and that will be when we read the whole series and we'll carry that on through all of them um, I am so excited to delve into this theme because I think these books actually have really important things to say and I Mm -hmm. think expectation is such an interesting way to view this world because there are so many expectations that people face. There's that kind of macro scale of it. So we've got prophecies, we've got legacies and great destinies and you know we've got societal expectations of how the world works and how the world expects things to work. But we also have that micro scale of expectation right? Like what we expect of ourselves, what people expect of us, how to be a good parent a good son, a good daughter, a good partner, a good friend. Like, all of that really comes through. And I think, you know, how do you find yourself or know yourself when everyone is always telling you who you should be and how you should behave? How do you function when the very world you live in is constantly constrained by how things should be? So, yeah, I think we can really untangle that as we read this book. And I'm so, so, so excited.
0: I am excited, too. I can't wait to get into it. I think that this is the ultimate theme. It's truly a coming-of-age series. Hmm. And there's so much about growing into the person you want to be, which I just love. And I'm just, I'm going to cry huge buckets of tears going through this with you and with Mm. all of these amazing characters. I'm just really excited. (laughs) But to kick us off, we started by reading the first nine chapters through the theme of coping. And I was wondering, do you have a story about coping for us?
1: Yeah, so when I am particularly stressed out or anxious, what I tend to do is I start cleaning. And not in like that kind of general, I'm just going to vacuum, which is quickly dust way. But no, this is a, <laughs> I'm going to clean out the kitchen cupboards and scrub every single inch of the bathroom sort of way, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I didn't even realise I was doing this at first, but um, it's undeniably my go-to coping strategy if I get bad news from home, like if I find out my dad is in hospital, or if there's anything happening that might cause me stress that I cannot control, for example, the country goes into lockdown, because that is essentially what it is about, it's about control I cannot change the thing that is causing me the actual anxiety, I cannot take any action against that because it's so big and often intangible, but I have to do something, and cleaning is something that I can do. so not only does it keep me busy but it also makes a very clear visual impact of my environment you know if i clean things go from being a little messy to being impeccable and that's a visual representation of me having done something you know i have things under control tm if i do that <laughs> And, you know, and also I find, like, if things are hard in one aspect of my life, then I just cannot bear the idea of also having a messy home. Like, it's intolerable to me. Like, my life is enough of a disaster in this one way. It cannot also be a disaster in another way. Only one disaster at a time. (laughs) So I think it becomes an act of self-soothing as well. Now, of course, it doesn't actually impact the thing that has caused the anxiety in the first place, like at all, but by acknowledging the impulse to kind of take action, I think it helps dampen that response enough for me to actually take a step back, sit down and go, okay, what is going on? And then hopefully accept the things that I cannot change, which is the ultimate goal, right? So I think that when I was thinking about coping is undeniably my go-to coping strategy, so
0: yeah. I love that, and I do that as well. as I told you yesterday that I had to rearrange my entire pegboard because quote it wasn't right and you know it wasn't right about it literally nothing was wrong with it like it was fine I just had to do it <laughs> to get my brain in the right space to do the work I needed to do that day mm-hmm. sometimes you just have to find the way through yeah find the steps exactly i feel like the pottering around that we do is sort of valuable in terms of getting our brain organized in a way
1: yeah it's finding the right gear right it's like at work i don't sit down immediately and start working i have to make a cup of tea first and then i have to do something else first and then i have to check my emails first and then i go into like work mode it's warming up the car before you start driving it
0: oh exactly yeah we all cope in different ways we do what we got to do exactly Alright, so in this section, chapters one through nine, Simon is on his way back to Watford School of Magics for his final year. On the way, he recounts all of the good things he won't let himself think about when he's not at Watford, and then of course, because he's Simon's Snow, he has to fight a goblin just to survive the taxi ride. We also meet Penelope Bunce, his smart and talented and super cute best friend, who has roommate trouble of her own. Agatha, Simon's girlfriend, turns up and they pretend everything is fine. It's not fine. The mage tries to talk Simon out of staying in school, and it all very nearly goes badly, and someone named Lucy is trying very hard to get a message across cross Mm. that's what happened agatha doesn't actually turn up but they talk a lot about her so i figured she deserved a comment
1: yeah no definitely even though simon seems incapable of holding agatha in his mind for any prolonged period of time (laughs) he's like what (laughs) who what
0: just the girl you've been dating for three years no big oh bless him All right. So when we were talking about coping, I consulted my usual places. So the Oxford English Dictionary and Etymology Online. But then I decided that I didn't want to learn about the etymology of coping as like, oh, it's also an arch or a kind of paver. I wanted to actually talk about (laughs) like maladaptive coping mechanisms because I spent a lot of time in therapy doing schema work and we talked a lot about coping styles in schema. Mm. Um, And the book I referenced here for this framework that I kind of used to talk about coping for my research is called breaking negative thinking habits and it's one i refer back to often and it's i would really recommend it for anybody who's doing any kind of reparenting work on themselves because it really dives deep and it's not like just envision your life being better and it will be better like it's like no here's a concrete strategy here's something you can actually do just feel better Yeah. (laughs) yeah So um, a coping style is a kind of psychological survival strategy to deal with threatening emotions and experiences. And I just wanted to say also coping mechanisms on their own aren't good or bad. They're just a tool, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If we feel stressed and we clean, that's fine. It's only when they stand in the way of like our emotional needs being met that they become dysfunctional. So if we're cleaning and we won't have a conversation with our partner about something because we're too busy cleaning, then that's when it's a problem. Yeah. So the three modes that are outlined here are surrendering, which is surrendering to That punitive, critical, or guilt-inducing negative thinking about yourself avoidance, which is where you just avoid the emotions and problems so you don't have to deal with them or overcompensation, which is where you feel insecure so you then display excessive self-confidence or you control, you seek to control other people so that you can avoid those feelings of insecurity Hmm. so that was kind of how I started with coping and what I was looking for when I did my read-through and I realized that I sound like a regurgitated textbook, but I really did spend a year doing schema therapy so I feel like I'm very familiar with these coping modes I think that's great and I think that
1: Yes taking the long view of the series. I think that's actually really important because we'll see more of that come in as well as the characters deal with more and more trauma. Oh my gosh, yeah. Or don't deal with it in some cases. So, yeah, I think that is important to keep in mind, definitely. Yeah, and I just need to say right now if you've not read this book, I'm very sorry that I will be spoiling it from get go because I I think I know these books almost as well as I know Harry Potter because I've read them so many times in the last 9 yeah, months you, that I just know do. everything about them.
0: And look, I think that's great. We're not- not a spoiler-free podcast by any stretch of the imagination. So that's just
1: worth flagging if anyone happens to stumble upon this. Um yeah, so's about it. But I think what you just said about kind of maladaptive coping is something that I really want to pick on with Simon in particular. Mm. I think he has a real tendency, like he has no emotional regulation, right? So he uses anger and like violence as a way of coping. Like he's always kicking things or beating people up or like running his hands through his hair and like tugging on his own hair. Like he
0: does. I read that that so differently. I don't, like, I just think he's real aggro. (laughs)
1: Like, real aggro.
0: I 100% do the same thing, and that's because I have ADHD. Oh, right. So you think it's an ADHD read? I think it's something neurodivergent. Yeah, whenever I see, like, whenever he's like, I'm kicking something, so I notice it and stop. That's me when I'm like, clicking my teeth which is a thing I do that I had to teach myself to do instead of kicking or doing the foot wiggle you know the foot wiggle mm. or tapping I like I tap things a lot like tap 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 like always having some sort of stimulation that's what he's going for the hair pulling the tugging yeah.
1: but he only does it when he's frustrated though like he only pulls on his hair mm-hmm. when he's trying to say something that he can't get out and yeah. he often pulls on his hair there's a section I think it's in the next section he talks about walking into a doorway just because he wants to like yeah. Only way to feel something is like walking into a doorway.
0: Like that is, (laughs) yeah. That is a thing. Oh, it absolutely is. I just don't feel like it's entirely anger based. I think it's like out. I definitely think you're right that he can't regulate, but it's more about like agitation rather than anger. That's my mm, read on it. I that.
1: think the anger I read from him saying that he talks to the goblin. Well, what went before? He knows it's the goblin. He's you know he says li- a little thuggishly, yeah. and he talks about that he was been kicking anyone who looked at him yeah. wrong. So that to me is like a it's a bit of a, a violent streak.
0: Yeah, survival, right? Just whatever you can do. Yeah. to get, get by. Yeah,
1: and when things are always trying to kill you. It's not a surprise that he always reaches for his sword in the first instance. Like, that is his go-to thing. He has to defend himself. It
0: kills me how often he is having to get his sword out. It kills me how hard he feels that life is. It stresses me out so much that he has to literally behead a goblin before he even gets to school and everyone's like, okay. Yeah. No one gives, like, no one cares. It's just like, oh, you did the thing. Yeah. The mage is like, what did you do? Oh, you killed him with your sword. Oh, you used a spell to clean it up. Like, he just killed a living being. This is so normal for him. That's not cool. Also, the it mage really isn't. Just die in a fire. I don't like that guy.
1: Absolutely. No, he is the worst. The absolute worst. And I look forward to putting the boot into him every single week. But the other thing with Simon that drives me absolutely mad throughout the whole thing is that he just cannot see that he's a skilled fighter. Mm -hmm. He's very good at it. He's learned to be very good at it. But he doesn't value that part of himself because he's not intrinsically what he thinks good at magic, right? So he just thinks he's a failure. And I'm like, but you have this incredible skill as a fighter. Why can you not see your value through that? You know, why? Because the only thing the society values is magic.
0: And he so desperately wants to be part of it because it is magic that the things that he's good at don't actually hold any weight for him.
1: No. And it's because they try to force him into a set expectation of how magic should behave right like if they spent a little bit more time trying to figure out how his magic works and how he can use that like he kind of gets along there on his own later on and he develops a much better relationship with his magic but yeah it just drives me crazy that they just well you don't act and behave the way we need you to so therefore you are broken
0: You know? It kills me. This whole book, I wanted to just adopt him.
1: I know. I just want to give him a hug.
0: And be like, you're going to sit down and you're going to eat all of this butter. And like, we are getting you a therapist. Sweet.
1: It honestly breaks my heart. He breaks my heart. But especially when Penny is talking about him and she's observing him for the first time, right? And she says that he is so thin and his face looks chapped. He is completely malnourished, this child, when he turns up here.
0: Mm -hmm. He's not eating enough.
1: Yeah, I know he's 17, so he's not really a child, but also... He's a child. He's still a child. You're a child. And the idea that the mage said to this child at the age of 12, oh, you can make your own way to school, catch a train and a couple of buses. Like, are you actually kidding me? This is what
0: gets me right. So this is part of the expectations that the mage has for him. I think that the mage expects him to be a tool, a soldier, a weapon. And Simon even says it himself. Like, he says... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let hardship sharpen your blade, Simon. I thought he meant my actual blade, the sword of mages. Eventually, I figured out he meant me. I'm the blade, the mages sword. Mm. No child should ever be a weapon. I just want to flag this now because the mage treats him like an object and then later is like, oh, he's a broken thing, a cracked vessel. Who do you think made him that way, mate? Who do you think is responsible for this?
1: Yeah. Yeah. He drives me absolutely crazy because he just tries to use Simon and then he says to him, you know, I won't let you be anyone's pawn. Except you're using him as a pawn all the time. Yeah. Like you are hiding him and moving him around and trying to do all these things and absolutely use them. And then you have the audacity to be like, when Simon won't go, when he was trying to move Simon away from Watford and he won't go. And he says, well, you know, we all make sacrifices in wartime. Where is that line?
0: Oh, yeah. Where he's like, where, is where's it? my wife? Where's my house in the country?
1: Yeah. Where's my children? Page 51. We don't get to ignore our responsibilities because we're bored with them
0: but the more we learn about the mage the more we realize he created most of these problems like you could argue he's absolutely the reason that all of this war has begun like he could have gone the reform route and instead he went with the evil takeover coup route like this is his fault yeah he talks about how
1: you know horrific it is to have been fighting three wars but every single one of those wars is his fault and i wonder if you know he has his coping strategy if we think about coping is he just thinks everyone's out to get Mm -hmm. him and therefore he is always the one in the right because it's an institutional thing and he's trying to reform it and i kind of love watching his journey as well because you see this kind of like yeah he's a socialist he's trying to do all these things and you can in theory get on board with it but then he just becomes more and more radical in the execution of that right there's
0: no line he won't cross in order to get where he perceives that they as a society need to get to which is not the way you do things and
1: i think he copes as well by just making the threat like seeing threats where there are none like he actively antagonizes the old families and then he's like oh they're coming for me (laughs) and it's kind of like
0: well are they you know (laughs) he creates an expectation that a war is coming so that when he yeah. finally creates it. He'll bear it out. It's like when you pick a fight so that you can feel justified in being upset. That's what he does. Yeah. He has had a chip on his shoulder since day one, as we'll find out.
1: And I think he also copes with his own sense of failure towards Simon by isolating him and trying to yeah. control him and trying to scare people into obedience. Like the fact that Agatha won't try to talk to Simon over the summer because, you know, page 38 it says she wouldn't disobey the mage or her parents. Mm-hmm. Like, no one's allowed to talk to Simon except the mage. But Penny flouts that. I love that. And he moves him from care home to care home, so he never gets to put down roots anywhere. Yeah. He deserves better. It honestly kills me when Simon talks about the fact that, you know, this mage is, like, not his father, not his anything. He's never presented him as family, always treated him as an ally. And it's just honestly the most baffling thing to me is, like, why the mage... Took the route that he took.
0: Yeah. The most generous way I can read it is that he was actually heartbroken that he didn't get to raise his own child in the way that he had envisioned. And he just couldn't think of, like, he couldn't cope with the idea of doing it himself for whatever reason. So he, like, fabricated this, like, oh, if he lives among normals, then he'll get more of the language. So, like, what's the best way that I can, right? Like, I'll make him tough. Like, he did this Victorian bootstrap ideal around Mm. what he should do instead of just kind of realizing that, like, maybe. Maybe he messed up by trying to create a savior based on a set of prophecies that resulted in the death of the only person who really loved him. It's a lot of yikes.
1: Well, I think the prophecy... You know, to go back to that as kind of like the ultimate form of expectation, right? And I think we've got that classic prophecy fallacy in play here. You know, it's the classic trying to interpret a prophecy leads to the prophecy actually coming Mm -hmm. true. Because the mage wanted to enact the prophecy, but he doesn't realize in doing so he ultimately unleashes the prophecy as well. Like, it's that classic kind of thing. So... It's just expectation of something being a thing and then ruining it, basically.
0: <laughs> yeah, you can't have your cake and eat it too.
1: And that idea of Simon being from normal parentage, like, you know how there's this real expectation of how magic works, right? Like, Penny is so sure in the fact that, you know, mages don't give up their children because magic is too precious. And so you've got this whole, everyone is so convinced about Simon because they have an expectation. Yeah. And like, you know, I just think of David Rose when he's like, I've never heard anyone say so many wrong things consecutively in a row. Because that's what they're doing in that Moment.
0: I mean, I love that certainty that Penny has because it's obviously younger. Like, that's something that Simon has internalized from when they were younger. I think Penny probably knows better by now, knowing more about magic and having met and dated an American mage. Like, you know, like she's not as naive as she once was, where, like, yes, in magical Britain, for example, it's extremely small and everybody knows each other. And there's a lot of like old family, this old family, that. So, yeah, it's a much more claustrophobic sense, like nobody really knows what happened to lucy salisbury but she's presumed alive somewhere right Mm. there are people that do go missing there are people that are stricken from the books as we find out later so it's not like there isn't capacity for that but i really do think that penny is just so locked in what she expects to be true that she says it if it's as if it's factual and simon then adopts Mm. it as if it's factual
1: because he trusts her implicitly and
0: in a way it is true he's not lost but also like Penny's wrong that particular parent did give up his child. Mm, yeah. Magic was too precious but also the child was surrendered. Yeah. So stressful. the biggest coping mechanism I saw was avoidance so like Simon avoiding thinking about Watford until he's Mm. on the way there and then the way that he saves the good things list until right before he gets there like it breaks my heart I totally am also guilty of this if something good's going to happen like if there's a plan coming up or like if someone's coming to visit I just won't let myself think about it until it's close and then I get excited
1: I feel like we all do that currently (laughs) as well like I don't think about any plans unless something is actually happening I'm not thinking it's going to happen because there's no point
0: (laughs) it's like in my mind as a possibility but i don't let it touch it it's a skipping stone on the surface i've done that for years though i don't really believe things are going to happen until they're happening so definitely saw a lot of avoidance i think that penny Mm. avoids dealing with the complicated emotions of having scenes like she feels very deeply but she doesn't
1: want to deal with it also why she doesn't allow herself to really have friends right like she's like you can only have three friends because (laughs) she can't
0: that's how she copes that's absolutely it yeah like she invests so fully in the ones she has but also, I think that Penny's not very flexible. She just does not have a lot of room for people who are outside of her ability to accept her as they are.
1: I do love that line that you know, so that Penny never had a lot of time for our our schoolmates, so they never had a lot of time for her. Mm. I think that's like often the way. Like often, I remember when I was at school, I'd be like, "Oh, these people hate me," and I'm like, "No, you hate them. <laughs> that's a different thing." it just feels like the same thing and they pick up on the vibes because you're putting them out so
0: i think my vibe was desperate to be loved so everybody was like oh no ick Aww. oh that's all right i'm fine now so i really understand simon here he's doing a lot of the same Poor things simon. that i did as a kid where he like really wants to be friendly with people even though it doesn't really mean very much he really likes having people around
1: Hmm, on his coping mechanisms yeah I think he obviously compartmentalises his life, right? Like, that's the only way that he can exist. He just puts things in boxes and he doesn't touch it. Absolutely. But I thought it was really interesting on page 51, when he's having the scene with the mage, he says, This summer was the worst summer yet. I held on because I was coming to Watford at the end of it, but I can't hold on any longer. So he's refusing to leave because Watford is in a way also a coping way. Like, Mm. that's also a thing for him to cope with. Even though he won't think about it when he's away, it's the only thing sort of holding him together. Yeah.
0: It's kind of like when you're really... Tired and you have to drive home or whatever And you're like I can't think about sleep but you know that As soon as you get home you can sleep like you know that The relief Mm. is coming but you just have to hang on And like keep doing the thing not that we should you should not drive while you're tired but this is kind of how i see it like he's just so exhausted that suddenly getting to the place where his house was and realizing he has to go out and run another errand he's like i can't i have to stay and sleep like he needs to be at walk I'm to tired. rest. yeah <laughs> yeah that one really hurts because i think it's the first time he's ever said no to the mage and he really scares him which i think is valuable like the mage needs to know that he can't just control this child forever it's the first time that the mage is really cluing into the fact that this kid is no longer a kid and can't just be bossed around he has to start respecting his opinions and wishes he's not actually a tool he's not
1: a blunt weapon yeah i also think he simon does a lot of not thinking as a way of coping Absolutely. he's always talk about think nothing at all or i can't afford to think about it or you just don't think like he doesn't think about the future yeah. and when penny talks about them getting a flat together he's like it's nice but it won't happen like he just yeah he can't envision any of that he can't
0: think about the future at all i just love that he's been given this prescribed life of what he should have so he's going okay i'll marry agatha we will get a House in the country. Her dad has connections. He will help me get a job. Like, he's going through this like a little robot, like, this is what my life will be like, and it will be fine. And he doesn't actually say he wants any of this. No. And I honestly
1: think that's expectation as yeah. well, because, like, Penny says to him, you know, if you don't pair up at Watford, that's it. You're going to be un- alone until you take a magical tour of Britain, a bus tour at like 32 <laughs> or whatever it is, like a singles tour. So, you know, to Penny, it's probably a throwaway line that she said once mm. and didn't think about, but Simon has really internalized that, yeah. right? So he's like, oh, if I don't marry Agatha, then what will my life be? So he has this whole, this is what is expected of me. And I think there's also something about it. And like, he describes Agatha as, you know, from the moment he saw her, she was just beautiful. And being that beautiful, she was untouchable. And when you're sitting next to her, it's like a little bit of that light is like shining on you. And I wonder if that's not to him. He thinks like, if he's with Agatha, then nothing can touch him by default. And he is tired of always like being touched, if you will.
0: He doesn't have parents, right? He doesn't have a a secure home life. He doesn't have a point of reference. So the fact that Agatha does, and she has parents that are firmly embedded in this long-standing familial and social tradition of magic, of course he would want that. He wants everything about Watford. He loves it so much. Of course he would go for like the most stable, beautiful, and radiant person that he could think of
1: yeah and the whole Simon Agatha thing would be terrible if Simon was just like going through the motions on his own. but Agatha's also going through the oh, motions
0: yeah. for Simon. like
1: they're both on the same kind of like we're doing this because we're expected to do it, but actually there's nothing. Yeah. I
0: think they liked each other really in the beginning, here? but like as we find out later, Agatha is very clear about how she loves him but doesn't she's not in love with him. Mm. like it's good of her to know that, but she really also needs to say it and like say it clearly. Hmm. I mean, even, there are a few times where he even goes, like, I don't know what we are.
1: Yeah, but I mean, Agatha's also fighting against expectations of her, right? Because people look at her and they see this beauty, yeah, and they expect her to be something that she doesn't want to be. The consolation prize. The prize at the end.
0: You fight against that, Agatha. I just wish that she could say it instead of just being, like, an eye-rolling grump about it. <laughs> Just break up with yeah. them. Just rip the bandaid off. Anyway, that's fine. They're teenagers. They don't know.
1: Also, the idea that she has to be part of this community that she doesn't actually want to be a part of, and she's just like forced into it. Like you know, you can
0: see how, as a teenager, that would really rile you up. Absolutely. While. And I love that it comes full circle in the end, and she finds her place. Like the part of Wayward Son that really I struggled with the most was the fact that she had just disappeared. Um, can we talk a little bit about Simon really enjoying having clear expectations? Like, mm. he really likes having a purpose. That's something that really drives him. He likes knowing yeah. what he's going to wear every day. He likes his ritual of doing his good things list. He likes getting into his room and opening the windows and smelling the air of Watford. He likes spending time with and the Goats, even though he doesn't get to anymore. All of these things are just great for him. He really loves having these expectations. He, he likes knowing what to expect.
1: Yeah, he likes having a clear boundary I guess like clear rules and clear things to follow because I think because he feels as a usurper in this world having rules is perfect right because you know what to do and how to behave absolutely it's like how I won't go somewhere if I don't know what the parking situation is beforehand like I have to know I need to know that I'm gonna be all right when I get there
0: (laughs) understand that like the way i coped with that when i was at my most anxious was giving myself a lot of time to park and walk and now knowing that my husband feels the same way about it i'll be like i want you to park here because there's always a spot and it's really <laughs> easy to get in and out of because he's very nervous about parking but we have the kind of car that has 8000 cameras on it which is really useful for parking
1: <laughs> it makes parking so much easier like i used to have a real yeah. thing about parallel parking like i hated it but now that i have a rear reverse camera i'm like this is the easiest <gasps> thing in the world
0: <laughs> I love parallel parking, but I had a really tiny car with no backup camera for a while. But a really tiny car, and I could get it into spaces that it probably should not have gone. And I always felt like, ha ha because ha, I would make people have to unpark around me. <laughs> if you can get
1: in, they can get out. That's the rule.
0: Look, I have no pride about it. If it takes me like 47 point turn to get in, I'll do that. <laughs> but I also feel you on the parking situation. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about Simon's? acceptance and also reluctance to accept that he's the chosen one
1: yeah it's an interesting one right because i think fundamentally simon has self-worth issues right so the idea that he is in any way special or different than anyone else seems just baffling to him Mm. but i think he is so desperate to belong yeah that that really gives him something to belong to like it gives people a reason to love him right and he thinks that he's not lovable on his own so he needs this thing I thought it was really interesting when he talks about how mages are attracted to his magic and how they like the smell of it and stuff. Mm. Because later on, we find out that people sort of get a little bit drunk on his power when they're around him and I just don't know if that necessarily means people enjoy being around him like Penny talks about it being quite hard and we know Agatha doesn't like it at all. No she
0: thinks it's very she thinks it's really exhausting to be around. It's like they're attracted to the potential rather than the actuality of it.
1: But he doesn't see that he just sees that oh people really love it Mm -hmm.
0: and that's why they like me and I'm like well I don't think that's true Simon. One of the things that Rainbow is so good at as an author is really threading that needle so finely she can really make all of the these things true for each character and the shift in perspective it's so intimate this book it's all first person present tense different narrators and I love that because we get Penny's perspective and we get the mage and we get Simon and we get Baz and we get Lucy you know it's like we get so many people we even get Nicodemus at this at one point in this book right yeah and Fiona yeah and I think it's so good because it gives you that thing
1: about like we don't all experience a situation in the same Mm -hmm. way you take away what you want and I think you know I love especially when and they talk when we get these scenes where someone will say, he looks at me and he's saying this with his look and then someone will say, I'm looking at him and I'm saying this with my look and they're completely <laughs> different things. I just love that so much because I'm like, you assume. That's my favourite
0: thing when it's like people are comparing stories in a TV show and they're yeah. like doing the little side by sides and they're completely wildly different. I love that. And you see what you want to see. Oh, 100%.
1: I kind of um, wanted to talk a little bit about Penny's mom so Bunz, Yes. Um, and how she copes because Simon says on page 45, I think Professor Bunz hate the mage more than anyone who isn't actually his enemy which I love because <laughs> I love Mitali like she's so extra she tells Penny not to be friends with Simon like she's like you need to stay away from him and then she's yelling at the mage when they turn up at the end of the last year and spells and they, them all away you know.
0: dramatically probably just to the car, yeah. still <laughs> including her son who
1: was actively arguing with her because he works for the mage yeah. so that's how she copes right like she just has to protect her family so she will do yeah. anything to just like get them away from whatever the threat is and she does not like the mage, (laughs) which I love.
0: To be fair, he's not likable though. No, and
1: especially, you know, we find out later that Matali was at school with him and it's like, well, no wonder she hates him.
0: He's that obnoxious kid who was a smug little know-it-all and he then became the leader of everything. And you now have Mm. to put up with the obnoxious kid who's a smug little know-it-all, destroying everything that you grew up with as normal and not necessarily in a way that is like actually revolutionizing, but like is actually causing quite a bit of harm.
1: Just destructive for the sake of being destructive. Yeah, Like just because something exists doesn't mean it's necessarily bad Like yes, we need to rework systems that don't work in favor of everyone. Great, love that. Don't burn it all to the ground. Like that is not the solution. He's
0: like those guys who are like anarchy, but like what do they think is going to happen when there's no petrol at the petrol stations and no food at the grocery store? Like they don't actually want society to end. They just want to be in charge of like their own little spheres. It's gross. Yeah. I don't like it.
1: Which I think is so interesting in this bit when we get that little section where the mage is talking about the old families. They'll just take power. You know, they'll grab power. At the first sign of it because that's all they want and I'm like, and that's not what you wanted that's not what you did you
0: didn't grab power at the first sign that's 100% what he is he's absolutely judging them for things that he would not want to be judged on
1: because he talks about how you know the old families are short-sighted and they don't want to fight the greatest problem they have which is the humdrum yeah. but when Simon comes to him and he's like what are we doing about the humdrum the mage is like I need to deal with the families first like they're trying to take my power yeah. so he's doing the exact same thing he's just a giant hypocrite
0: <laughs> and also so we know that some of the old families are studying and trying to figure out what's happening because isn't that Penelope's dad's entire job is investigating the magical yeah. holes like yeah. he's looking at all of the dead spots trying to figure out what's going on like he's mapping them and talking about their growth and like he's the, the lead person on that case it's not that nobody cares yeah. it's that he's reframing the narrative to serve what he wants it to to serve.
1: And I don't want to take the side of the Tories, but you know, if you're actively going after the Pitches and trying to take everything away from them, you kick them off the coven, you'd take everything, take their power, Mm -hmm. take everything, try to take their houses, do all these things, and then you're like, why are they dueling me on the side of the road? (laughs) I don't know. It's a mystery.
0: (laughs) I love that Penny loves Simon so much and would rescue him from the situation, but she really does believe that he's the only one who can solve all of their problems. Like, she's yeah. also been told this enough that it has become the fact Yeah, that he's going to be the one to face the humdrum.
1: She never stops trying, though. Like, she keeps t- making these little remarks to Simon, we could run away. Like, she wants him to take it up. Like, she wants him, like, if Simon said to her, let's run away, I think she probably would, even though she does think he is the one who will solve the problem. She can't take him away, but if he said to her, let's run away. She would do it. I think she'd go.
0: Penny is a deeply flawed character, and I love her so much. I have a lot of feelings about Penny. I can't wait to just dive in and be like number one Penelope Bunt's fan club because she's amazing. She's the best smart girl dread companion that a person could ever want. She's great. Um, I think there's a lot of expectations. We've touched on this a little bit, but I think there's a lot of expectation that Simon has around Agatha. Mm. Like that's the girlfriend that a chosen one should have. And that's just mm. really a whole weird thing, right? So like Agatha is just as objectified as Simon is. Simon is the yeah. weapon and she's the girlfriend of the weapon. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't even feel that strongly about her. Like, this is me personally thinking that your your partner should be your best friend first. Like, they should be your best friend. They, they don't have to be your only best friend, but they should definitely be your best friend. But Penelope definitely ranks above Agatha on the good things list. In fact, she is number two right under Sour Cherry mm. Scones, which are admittedly amazing. And then he later says, I don't know what Agatha is to me. I'm not even sure whether I've missed her. Well, that's a big red flag. Yes. And then he says yeah. something. This this got me. I actually had to go and find my husband and have a conversation. On page 38, he says, it's not my judge, job to judge Agatha. It's my job yes. to be your boyfriend. Well, there are plenty of times when my husband says something and I'm like, what? Like, I expect him to be kind and good and a normal human being. And if he snaps at me or the kids, then I'm going to pull him up on that. And I expect him to do the same to me. Like, that judgment, not just being critical for the sake of being critical, but being like, hey, we have shared values. We got to hold each other to that. That's part of being in a yeah. relationship, right?
1: I wrote in the margins on that. We do hold our loved ones to account, though. Like, that's part of the, yes, the yes,
0: job. That's what it is. Yes. You don't just let them do whatever.
1: What we see there is just the fact that they don't care about each other. Like, sure, they love each other, but he actually doesn't care. And you know, the opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference. Yeah,
0: 100%. Yeah, when I when I brought that up to my husband, he said, well, it just sounds like he's disinterested.
1: Yeah, like when he says, I'm not sure if I missed her, I'm like, well, that's the salient point, isn't it? <laughs> that tells you everything you need to know. The fact that you didn't even yeah. miss her. And then you can't, if Penny keeps telling you, what about Agatha? And you're like, who? What? <laughs> Agatha? Oh, we're fine.
0: I think it was really telling how he has, he has this prom picture, this formal picture, right? Like standing next to Agatha wearing a mm. suit her father lent me. I actually look like who I'm supposed to be. Not who you yeah. are. Who who you're supposed to be. He's got this idea of what he's supposed to be doing and who he is supposed to be, but he doesn't feel like that matches.
1: Yeah, no, she's definitely part of the fantasy, right? She Mm -hmm. completes the set. She completes the the story that probably the mage is telling him, like what he should be. So that's what he's trying to live up to. It's
0: like a nice little subversion of what we expect in a fantasy chosen one boy trope.
1: Yeah, I love that subversion as well about the fact that Agatha just doesn't actually care about Simon either. It's not like she's heartbroken or anything like that. Agatha's got her own thing going on. She's fighting her own battles, which is the fact that she's being put in this box because of who she is and how she looks, essentially. Yeah. Which, you know, isn't fair on her either. I think there's also a lot of expectations around what people think Simon's life is like. So it really struck me when Miss Possibel is talking to him about doing magic and practicing magic in the summer holidays. And she's like, just use your magic for household chores or wash the dishes and polish the silver. And he's like, I eat off plastic plates with a spoon and a knife, like a fork, Mm -hmm. never a knife. This kid has a completely different life and yeah. world that all these other children have and people just don't acknowledge the fact
0: that how hard that must be for him. What do you mean you don't have a butler and a driver? Yeah, there's yeah. a total yeah. disconnect in the way he was raised and the way that everybody else in the world of mages is raised. And I like that there's a point where he actually comes to Trixie the Pixie's defense where he's like, I think sometimes Penny's rants are border border on speciesist and I tell her so. I tell her so, and yeah. And he, like, he isn't saying, like, my friend is a bad friend, but he just tells her, like, nah, you've got that wrong like you can't judge her based on that and it's good that he says that like I'm proud of him for saying that because I think that would be very hard for him to say he was he talked about how awkward and silly he felt not knowing what to say to Penelope when they first met and feeling like he really stepped in it which is another expectation
1: I thought that you know when he's like I didn't think people like you could be named Penelope Mm -hmm. you know he's come from a very insular kind of environment and so he has expectations about how people are going to behave and I love that he says everything I don't like that he calls himself stupid all the time but you know it's like everything I said that first year was stupid because he was like didn't know he was learning
0: yeah you're right that that's that's a problem yeah we are ignorant people can't know everything all of the time trust me I'm furious about this on a regular basis I wish I did know everything about everyone all of the time I wish I did have the breadth and depth of knowledge about the human condition man that would be sick I would love that but I don't so I have to ask questions and sometimes being stupid is an asset yeah it's okay if you want to understand I think that's fair and I think
1: Penelope's quite kind to him in that moment like you know she's kind of like what you know what should people like me be called like she doesn't really cut him off or like yeah. write him off as a lost cause and i think that's something when someone is ignorant don't assume it's malicious that yeah whole
0: thing. that's really generous of her she just is like oh well this isn't an issue i don't have to like do a social justice after school special thing she's just like yeah i can be called anything i can have red hair if i want i don't know i'm really proud of her for just being like nope this is my lost cause i will adopt him yeah and she's in it ride or die yeah she really is Um,
1: what really gets me is Simon has no expectations of anything good ever happening to him. Yeah. Even on page nine, like as early as that, he says, you know, I will I decided to let the world of mages come back to me like a big surprise present come September if it was going to. Like every, every year he's still sitting there thinking, oh, maybe this year it won't happen. Like I cannot imagine.
0: It is so hard. I completely understand the like hopelessness of being in a situation you feel like you can't escape. The fact that he sits there and like won't let himself think about it and just can't wrap his head around the fact that it's real yeah something about it just really rings true for me that this kid is trying really hard and still can't get his head around the fact that he's accepted he just can't believe in it enough
1: because he always expects it to be taken away from him right like there's a part of him just doesn't believe that it's permanent Yeah, and therefore he can't trust it yeah
0: Which is why
1: the inevitable conclusion of this is so horrific for me.
0: It's a real sacrifice. It reminds me of of what a real sacrifice is like. It's like Sean at the end of the Scorpio races. He's making Mm. a real sacrifice for the right reasons. And that's why I love it. But it is hard. Um, can we talk about Eb for a second? Yes. Because
1: we only get a little bit of her in this, but Simon leaves her on the list because he likes to have a time to think about her. I love that. It's again the mage just cutting him off from his support networks. Mm-hmm. Like he keeps Simon so busy that he can't go visit Eb and the goats, which is horrific. And the
0: mage doesn't know how wonderful and powerful Eb is. Like he has no idea.
1: No, and this is the thing, like, Eb subverts the expectation of how a strong mage should behave, Mm -hmm. like, you know, the mage says, like, we're all soldiers, and Eb's like, I don't see why I should fight just because I can throw a punch, which is a great line, Yes, and she just, like, subverts all that expectation, but Simon understands how powerful she is, because he's, you know, he's taken the time to get to know her, and I don't think
0: anyone else
1: understands how amazing Eb is.
0: I love that he's able to see past the things that would make her weird in the world of mages and mm. just loves her for being her. Like, yes, there there's something about the fact that they're both powerful that drew them together. But the fact that they both have these really deep core hurts and they can sort of like mm. feed each other up a bit. Like they've got something that the other one needs, which is that recognition of loss. Yeah. Like they both really respond to that in each other. So I just, I love Eb. I want more Eb. I want to know the story of Eb's life. I want to know what she named the goats yeah i think that was it for me for expectation and coping i do want to look out for more coping mechanisms i especially want to talk about the mage's overcompensating because i feel like he desperately wants to control things yeah but the problem with it being people is that people have their own agendas and agency and you can't control them no
1: that's right you can't predict them
0: yeah, I also just want to touch on this. Is something that really struck me. um Simon wants to know what's next. He wants a mission. He wants a purpose. And the only purpose that he can really come to grips with is what Penny tells him, which is because you can, Simon, and someone has to. And I think this is how he's actually reconciled to his not his fate, but like his mission, his purpose. Like he's his destiny. He's okay with being the chosen one because Penelope has sort of given him like here's some framework that will make this okay for you. Yeah, and I think that's really important because I've definitely had you know Penelopes of my own who've given me really important and really like essential reframing tools at crucial points in my life i just love that because it's helped me immeasurably to be able to say oh hang on no i can look at this a completely different way and it does it is transformative mm. so i love that he's got this from penelope and not he's not reeling back something that the just told him he's looking at it from someone else's eyes someone who loves him really loves him and isn't just viewing yeah. him as a tool that's lovely how about you do you have anything else for coping or expectation no
1: that was it for those two
0: I think do you have anything for tangential marginalia oh do I have (laughs) tangential marginalia
1: the thing is it absolutely just breaks my heart that whole section on page nine when he talks about but no one loves magic like I do yeah and I'll do anything to make sure it's always there for me to come home to yeah R.I.P. like it honestly I was actually like nearly crying yeah Because, yeah, it's just what happens to him. It's just, honestly. And the other thing on that note, what I wanted to, like, make a note of, is that he talks about, on page 26, I hate when people cast cleaning spells on me. It makes me feel like a child. And I think this is important to keep in mind for later. Like, the way he reacts when people cast spells at him. And, like, what that is saying about him. So I just wanted to flag that and keep hold of that. And then that line, oh my gosh, you know, when he comes back into his room and he's, like, opening all the windows and he's like, Penny says it always smells like... Baz is posh soap in here, cedar and, then, and yeah, bergamot. which I looked up the meaning of cedar and bergamot, and cedar is like immortality, and bergamot is like balance, and something else positivity nice. and i'm like hmm, is it now but yeah he's like i take a deep breath now trying to catch a hint of cedar like yeah my arch enemy who i hate and can't stop thinking about <laughs> now i'm trying to sniff him out this is totally normal behavior that's like, what i, I actually doing? created
0: a section in my tangent where i was like i'm flagging this now totally normal roommate behavior <laughs> this is not totally normal roommate behavior
1: he talks about baz all, all the time, the time.
0: About him had never having a hair out of place after they fight a chimera. About he's on the soccer team. He talks about Baz about four times more than he talks about Agatha. Like at least four times as much. Yeah.
1: And how it's always fire with Baz, and like he knows about Baz's nightmares. And Penny's like, you know, how you know, I have to be have my wits about me because what if he kills me in my sleep? And how would I know? And Penny's like, well, you would with how much you watch him. So it's <laughs> a whole thing.
0: I also wanted to, I have a little bit of tangential marginalia. I want to talk about Lucy's chapters, which are very short. Mm -hmm. All of page 44, which is, I have so much I want to tell you, but time is short and my voice doesn't carry. So much of that is about her time was shortened and her voice didn't, she didn't get to have a say. Like, she didn't get to have a say no and she just wanted to tell him so much and she wanted him so much and he never knows that like he never gets to know that and that breaks my heart I have a lot of feelings about Lucy she deserved Mm. better
1: (laughs) (laughs) we'll get to that later
0: (laughs) you know what I thought on page
1: 60 when Simon talks to Penny about how the mage wanted to send him away right and he's talking about why and he says he thinks everyone here would be safer if I left and the mage never said that no He's just decided that he's such a liability that people will be safer is not allowed. But he like, he says it multiple times in that section about, oh, yeah. the mage said, the mage said, but he never said that. Yeah. Simon, stop projecting.
0: He wants the mage to be more than he is, right? Like that's, that's, that's part of it, right? So like even on page 17, he's like, oh, and it's not like he's my dad. He's not my anything, but he's the closest thing I've got to anything. Yeah. He makes him more than he is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, also in totally normal roommate behavior. For somebody who hates him, Baz has never violated the roommate's anathema.
1: Oh, that reminds me. Do you think the anathema is like Watford's way of coping with all these unregulated teenagers running around? It's like, I will come up with this thing in order to <laughs> cope with these children.
0: Yeah, it's got to be like survival, right? Like you can't actively hurt your roommate because you could probably do a lot of damage with magic, right? Mm. So I think it's built in. I think it was a deliberate choice. Kind of maybe tied with a crucible or something.
1: Mm. It's a good thing. Good thing to have.
0: I think so. And I think that that needs to be a thing that you have in every house that you live in with people. You need to have the roommates in Ethema. Like you can't hurt the people you live with. That's the rule. Not that you'll get sucked out a window and you won't be able to ever come back. But like, I think your hands should go numb for three days. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Just Make it so really good. hard to hurt people. I'm I'm down with this. Yeah. Do you have any other tangential No, marginalia? that was it. Yeah. What else did you have? Uh, just a little bit about the fact that he knows things are not the same with Agatha, but they yeah. haven't really dealt with it. But that's okay. They're teenagers. They don't have to know.
1: No, they're still figuring it out.
0: Um, do you have in-depth marginalia?
1: I do. So my in-depth marginalia is on page 65, and it is the line, No, Simon, they're harmless unless you're afraid of the truth. So the context here is that they, they've been in the dining hall and they've witnessed a visiting. And Penny is explaining how visitings work to Simon. And his bigger concern is about whether it's safe, right? Like he just wants to know, are they zombies? Do I need to be protecting anyone? That's all he cares about. And I think it relates to our overall theme of expectations because this is just Simon always expecting everything to be dangerous and he copes by pulling the sword immediately. Like he does that in this section as well. Like he sees the ghost, he's like, sword out. What's happening, right? Yeah. And I think there's also the idea that Penny expects magical things to behave in a certain way. And she is comforted by her knowledge. Like, because she knows this, therefore there is no danger. That sort of thing. Yeah. I chose this because I think it's fundamentally untrue. I think the idea that the truth is something that can't hurt you. It's just not true i think truth can be incredibly damaging and we'll see this throughout the series as little truths are revealed and things that people think are true come into question um and you know like truth can be used as a weapon to harm people as well like that's why we have white lies and why sometimes we think saying things you know just saying something because it's true doesn't mean it's the right thing to say or that it's not going to cause damage to someone like sometimes the truth isn't something that you should share i feel Like, the truth is a particularly important subject right now, too, because we live in a time period where truth has become such a malleable concept. Like, anyone can say anything and claim that something is true, and then we end up with conspiracy theories and people, quote-unquote, doing their own research and coming up with their own results. Yeah. You know, it's that thing, like, is objective truth even possible? Can you ever really remove all your individual subjectivity and biases from a subject so that you can say something is irrefutably true? Or is it only ever going to be your truth of a situation it made me think of that Rumi poem which is the truth was a mirror in the hands of God it fell and broke into pieces everybody took a piece of it and they looked at it and thought they had the truth so I think what I want to remember is that the truth is not a complete thing it's a process of discovery and it's one that's always evolving now like my BFF Ronan Lynch I definitely have a habit of wielding the truth as a weapon (laughs) but we've discussed many times on this podcast already that life is not black and white And I do bring my own biases to things. And I need to keep that in mind, especially when dealing with people, so that I can, you know, remember that I don't know their histories and I don't know what side of the story they're coming from. And in doing so, I'm hoping to be like a kinder and more compassionate person with like a kinder perspective just to enable a productive conversation with people if the truth is ever called into question so that you just come from a kinder place.
0: I love that.
1: What was your in-depth marginalia?
0: I chose something from the beginning of the section in Simon's good things list. So on page 17, when he's talking about magic, he says, what I miss when I'm away from Watford is just being around magic, casual, ambient magic. Now, he specifies that he isn't excited about his own magic, which feels Mm. unpredictable and pretty harrowing to experience, but being around it, being around other people doing magic. And I think it's really important because... The list itself is a huge coping mechanism for him. It's how he like eases himself into being ready to be happy again it's how he sort of psychs himself up but not really psychs himself up it's like he unwinds the tension of being an outsider and he lets himself belong again Mm. but it's also like a way of managing his expectations right so he's been denying the fact that he's magical for all these months that he's been in care but like reminding himself that these things exist helps him to remember that he is part of this world that it's who he really wants to be and where he belongs and when i read this this time i just thought this is exactly how i feel when i go back to the us Only it's not magic, it's like cheerfulness. Um, Like, it's not bad here. Like, it's not bad in Sydney. People are nice, I guess. But like, when I go back to the US, everyone is chatty. Everyone is talking to everyone. Everyone talks in lines. Everyone comments on your like clothes or your baby. Or like, if you're waiting for a long time, they'll go, geez, this is a long time to wait. Or I wish they'd hurry up. You make Insta friends all the time in the US. And I grew up in that culture. And so I really miss it. I miss that there's a habit of reaching out and connecting with strangers. I appreciate it so much when I go back because I get to just just be chatty and be happy. I mean, I'm still not ever moving back, but it's just something that I really miss. And it just made me think, like, yeah, when I do go back, I realize how much I miss it. So, uh, yeah, going forward, I love Simon's good thing list. I love everything about having a list of things to look forward to. And I don't really ever let myself have lists of things like that. So maybe I should. Like, there's nothing wrong with looking forward. There's nothing wrong with looking toward a future with things worth anticipating. Oh, I love that.
1: I love the idea of having a good things list.
0: Yeah, like, what's happening next? So the first thing on my good things list is that there's air conditioning coming.
1: That is a very good thing.
0: Oh, my gosh. Um, Do you
1: have a character you want to spotlight this week? I suspect we're spotlighting the same character, but I am spotlighting Simon. He has just been through so much, and he doesn't even seem to know how much he's been through. The thing that really gets me is when he talks about the fact that he doesn't sleep in pyjamas when he is in care. Yeah. And that he loves putting on his Watford pyjamas, and then the only good sleep he has is that sleep before Baz comes to Watford when he's alone in his room. And the hunger, right? The fact that he had to take the food off the list because if he thought about food too much on the train, he would get hunger pangs. Like, he has just been through so much and yet he still shows up and he wants to do the right thing. He always wants to do the right thing. Like, it's never a question about, you know, him being bored, as the mage says. Like, he genuinely wants to do what's right. And he just, he deserves so much better. I just want to give him the biggest hug. And just look after him, because he is just the sweetest little cinnamon roll. And I just feel for him.
0: I also picked Simon from my character's spotlight. <laughs> yeah. And I, I had a few reasons, but the thing that kept sticking out to me was that he wanted to pat Penelope all over to make sure that she was complete and intact. And that when he spends time with her after his summer's away, his cheeks hurt because he smiles so much. Yeah. And I just feel like he has so much love in him, and he only has this one person really to, to dump it into. And he just loves her as best as he can. And I really love that he's capable and happy to do that. Like, he just really cares about her. And he's like, you know, like, he just accepts her for who she is. And I don't know. theirs is a beautiful friendship. I love that. I love it so much. And I love him for holding on to her. Yeah. I had a lot of feelings about Simon and Penelope and their friendship. And I feel like it's just wonderful how happy he is to see her. The first question out of his mouth when he sees her brother is, where is she? Like, <laughs> yeah, where's your sister? And he's like, I don't know. But yeah, he just really wants to find Penelope and see Penelope. Bless him. And Baz. Where is Baz? <laughs> wow.
1: Well, we'll get into that, won't we? He's going to be totally normal about that. Totally normal
0: roommate thing. <laughs> oh my gosh well next week we're going to read chapters 10 through 18 through the theme of ability and we will have a special guest, Frank B on to answer some of our burning questions about boarding school life so we will see you next week very much looking forward to that I know, it's going to be so good Jen, thank you for parting with me thank you so glad to be back into it
1: I know, and this amazing text so yay, Look forward to next week
0: alright, I'll see you then see ya bye
1: Thanks for joining us today. Marginali Pod is written, edited, and produced by Jen D and Jen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed our chat, you can subscribe to Marginali Pod on your podcast platform of your choice. Your support means the world to us. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at Our music is by Scott Buckley. For extended show notes or to find out more about us, visit us at www.marginaliapod.com.